The gospel reading today is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God, and now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her, who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of these scriptures. Amen. You may be seated. This text about the Virgin Mary being visited by the angel Gabriel is so familiar to us that it can also it can almost become ordinary. It's almost too familiar. But this text is anything but ordinary. This text is is the definition of extraordinary and it's filled with supernatural events involving ordinary people. Cuz that's how God works. God works through ordinary people. Supernatural events, you know, sometimes that word supernatural doesn't feel quite right when we're talking about God, but what else can God be but supernatural outside of nature, beyond nature, beyond what we understand of the natural world? God sends the angel Gabriel to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, an ordinary town, a nothing kind of town. Having an angel appear, I'd say that's not ordinary, right? Not an ordinary kind of thing that happens on an ordinary day. The angel Gabriel coming to Mary in Nazareth in Galilee was an extraordinary event in an ordinary place happening to an ordinary person. And remember, in this text, this is not just any angel. This is the angel Gabriel, the angel Gabriel who predicted the birth of John the Baptist or foretold the birth of John the Baptist. But also, if you go back to the Old Testament, you go back to the prophet Daniel and Daniel got thrown into the lion's den, remember? And when he gets out of the lion's den, because somehow miraculously by the power of God, he was not consumed by the lion and he gets out of the lion's den and he has some visions. And it's the angel Gabriel who comes to Daniel and helps him interpret those visions. In this encounter with Mary, Gabriel starts by saying, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And he tells her, You have found favor with God. Greetings, favored one. Mary, you have found favor 
with God. Why? Why is Mary favored? Nothing in the text suggests that Mary has done something to earn this label favored. There's not a big buildup of her credentials. The Bible doesn't say, Mary was the most pious, righteous, God-fearing young woman in all of Galilee. No, we don't get any of that. Actually, the text says, Mary was much perplexed by Gabriel's words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. In other words, Mary says, are you talking to me? Um, I think you have the wrong girl, the wrong house, the wrong town. I'm just ordinary, ordinary Mary. And the Bible doesn't actually tell us, you know, exactly where Mary is when the angel Gabriel visits her. Sometimes we picture her um, at, a, at a well or um, there are some of her in a garden. You know, we don't really know where Mary is, but I like to picture Mary in a place she felt especially safe. I've shown you this painting before. I've got a, a poster of it here and it's up on the screens. This is um, a painting called The Annunciation and it's by Henry Osawa Tanner. And Henry Tanner was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 1859. Think about what was happening in the United States in 1859. And Henry Tanner was an African-American. He was the first African-American to, to be internationally known, the first African-American artist to be internationally known. His work was even exhibited in Paris around the turn of the 20th century. He was the only African-American student at the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts and many artists would not work with him, would not allow him to apprentice with them because of the color of his skin. He was the oldest of seven incredible children. His sister, Hallie, was the first woman to be licensed to practice medicine in the state of Alabama, the first woman of any race to be licensed to practice medicine in that state. And their father, this is how I know Henry was a good person, because his father was a Methodist preacher, of course. <laughs> He actually was a bishop in the African Methodist Episcopal Church in Philadelphia. And Henry often painted from these biblical themes, despite the fact that that was not in vogue when he was becoming a prominent artist. He was painting at the same time as people like Van Gogh and Cezanne and Seurat and Edvard Munch. He did the scream, oh, that painting, oh. And they, they were painting in this new style. Picasso was part of that. But they were painting in that style because they, they said they wanted to paint in a way that reflected their own personal experiences. They didn't want to just paint what had been painted before. And Henry Tanner, in the midst of that, can, paints from biblical themes because he said the Bible did capture something of his own personal experiences. For Henry Tanner, the biblical message conveyed the universal human experience offered to everyone, to each of us. It's an encounter with the living God. And Tanner sought to communicate that with his art. He painted this one, The Annunciation, in 1898, and it is his depiction of the gospel lesson from today, when the angel Gabriel visits Mary. And the angel Gabriel is depicted as that floating light, 
And there's just a hint in it. If you look very closely, there's a little suggestion of a cross with the way the light interacts with um, the top of the painting. And Mary looks so young in this painting, doesn't she? She looks so young and she's sitting on her bed and she's listening intently, compliantly. And her head is a little tilted, but also a little bowed. And there's something in her eyes that says, I am listening to someone with great power. This is an extraordinary moment. Something extraordinary is happening in an ordinary place. And then I've told you guys this before, I actually show you this painting every year. It's becoming a tradition, right? But my favorite part of the painting is that the carpet is smooched up. It's like squished up at the bottom. You can see there's a little wrinkle in it. And I love that because I wonder why? Why does Henry Tanner give us that detail? Is it that Mary hops up out of bed when the angel appears to her? When she does that, it makes the carpet move. Is it that she, she, uh, she gets up and she grabs her blankets to cover herself when the angel appears to her? Just something about that little scooch on the carpet just makes the moment a little bit more alive. And Tanner has managed to somehow, somehow manage to show us Mary's willingness. She doesn't seem afraid. She's not being terrorized by this light appearing and speaking to her. The only hint of fear or dis-ease in the painting is that little wrinkle in the rug. And maybe the way she's cutting her eyes, like, is this really happening? <laughs> the blankets are a mess. The rug is wrinkled. But Mary seems at peace. She seems to have composed herself. She's not clutching at her neckline. She's not hiding her eyes. She's not cowering in fear. You can almost hear her asking Gabriel, okay, how will this be, right? I need a little information. <laughs> we see a young woman sitting here on her messy bed, listening to an angel's extraordinary message. It's a, a, an impossible message and in, an unbelievable message, an extraordinary message. I mean, who would believe what Gabriel says here? That a young, unmarried woman will give birth to the hope of nations? That a nervous virgin will conceive a king, a ruler over all of Jacob's descendants, who will have a kingdom that will not end? That ordinary Mary is going to be part of God's plan to change the world forever? When we look at this painting, the reason I get it out for you year after year is that we can sit in that moment with Mary, that prolonged moment. Maybe we would call it a pregnant pause, yes? <laughs> this moment when Mary is listening to the angel, Gabriel. That moment after Gabriel says, you, Mary, have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. We can, we can almost... Here, Gabriel, the light in the painting, answering Mary's question, how can this be? I love this painting because Tanner's depiction prepares us for ordinary Mary's extraordinary response. 
This painting makes me wonder, what was it like in heaven at this moment? I don't think anyone in heaven, I don't think the angels or the heavenly host, I don't think any of them took Mary's free will for granted. And so I wonder if as the angel is telling Mary about this, if maybe they were holding their breath in heaven, like, what's she going to say? How's this going to turn out? Makes me want to hold my breath too. Take a deep breath like I too am waiting on Mary's response. We can imagine the very next moment when Mary speaks her voice, so young, so respectful, so willing, but probably still a little unsure. And she says, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Wow. They exhaled in heaven. It's going to be okay. Have you ever wondered why Mary Why would God choose this young woman? This is pure speculation on my part, but I think Mary had two big qualifications. The first one is that she was willing. We can can presume that God knew Mary's heart. I don't think that Gabriel traveled all over Galilee, right? And went alphabetically. Okay, I'm gonna start with the A's. Abigail. Greetings, favored one. The Lord has looked with favor. Oh, no. Okay. All right. Going to move on. All right. Uh, Let's see. Um, Let's be Bilha. Bilha. Greetings, favored one. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'll go on. You know, and then Gabriel gets to the M's and he's like, oh, I'm on the M's. I really, really hope the next one says yes. No, (laughs) I think Mary was Gabriel's first and only stop that night. Mary was willing to serve God and God knew her heart and knew her faith. You know, normally the women we meet in the Bible who are not yet mothers are pleading with God for that gift. Sarah, Rachel, Hannah, even Mary's cousin Elizabeth, they all beg God to give them a child. But Mary hasn't been looking for this at all. This pregnancy doesn't end Mary's disgrace. It's the beginning of her disgrace. And in spite of this, in spite of knowing how it will look, in spite of knowing how she will be treated, Mary is willing. And that's her first qualification, her willingness. The second thing that I think qualified Mary for this incredible calling is the fact that she was ordinary, that she was ordinary Mary. There is no doubt that the greatness that is going to come from her is the work of God. The birth of Jesus isn't like the birth of a prince. There's not a king and a queen who can take credit for his miraculous existence. No, this has to be the work of God. That's why this has to happen before she and Joseph consummate their marriage. God wants us, wants everyone to know that this isn't a regular pregnancy. No, Mary's son will not be a regular baby. Mary would not and could not claim greatness in her own right. She was ordinary Mary. So any greatness that was at work in her had to be God, not the result of her own effort or her own power. Let's not brush past the significance of this. This is important stuff. Mary was chosen by God because she was ordinary, regular, and faithful. 
If you've ever thought you were too ordinary to be used by God, let Mary's story teach you something today. Yes, we are just regular people. We're just living ordinary lives. But so was Mary. You know, if I were Luke and I were writing this part of the gospel, I would do it differently. Yeah, I think I could probably have done it. I, 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 let's, let's just say I could have done it better, right? Could have done it in a more convincing way. I'd have created a really strong biblical tie-in for Mary. I'd want to make her story airtight. I'd want to make sure that people would believe what I was saying. So I might match Mary up with the characteristics of a Proverbs 31 woman. The book of Proverbs ends with Proverbs 31, which is an ode to a capable wife. And wow, oh wow, this woman is something. She's more precious than jewels. She works. She provides for her family. She invests in real estate. She is physically strong while still being feminine and lovely. She is generous. She can sew and make clothing. Not only that, you guys, this woman makes her own cloth. She does it so well, people are willing to buy it from her. She has a sense of humor. She says witty things. She takes care of her businesses, plural, her husband, her children, and above all, she respects God. What an inspiration, except that she exhausts me, really. <laughs> she exhausts me. If I were God and I were choosing someone for the job of the incarnation, I might have chosen someone more like that more like the Proverbs 31 woman, not somebody like ordinary Mary. It's tempting to disregard the Bible, especially when it reports something extraordinary, like a virgin giving birth to God. Someone told me once, you know, I would believe the Bible if it just didn't have all those unbelievable miracle stories in it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's kind of the point. <laughs> I do get it, though. I don't think that skepticism is unhealthy. I believe God can handle our questions. I believe God wants to be in conversation with us, and, and in conversation, questions are going to come up, and that doesn't dishonor God or upset God. I think God welcomes that. Questions are good. Skepticism is good. But here's what I would say to those who might be skeptical about the Virgin Mary. If I were going to make up a story about Mary— and an encounter with Gabriel about her special destiny, I would make sure that I established her credentials, right? In my story, she would be on track to be the perfect Proverbs 31 woman. Her mother would be training her on all the household details. She would be an informal apprentice in the weaver's shop. She would already have an eye for business and a sense of humor. She would be a regular at the synagogue, if not the temple, and I would be sure to tell you so. I would give you a record of her pilgrimages to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. I would tell you about all the ways she was serving in her local synagogue. She would be so diligent about obeying the laws of Moses that everyone would have noticed her goodness. She wouldn't be ordinary Mary. She would be extraordinary Mary, known for her faithfulness, known throughout the land for her devotion to God. You know what I wouldn't do if I were writing this story? If really this were truly something made up, I wouldn't pull an ordinary woman out of nowhere and make her the focus 
of the incarnation. I wouldn't call her favored. Galilee is nowhere. Nazareth is nowhere in the middle of nowhere. Mary is just ordinary. Here's the thing, though. Aren't you glad that Mary's credentials aren't a chapter long? Isn't that just like our God? God chooses Mary because God knows who she is created to be, not because she had earned this special privilege. God favors Mary without her ever expecting, without ever expecting her to earn it. Here's the thing, my friends. You too. God looks on you and calls you favored and never expects you to earn it. God loves you because of who you are created to be. God loves you because you are you. I've said it before, and I will certainly say it again. You just have a really big job, each of you. You have an awfully big job because you have to be you. There's never going to be another you. God's only giving the world one you, so you have to do it to the best of your ability. God chose Mary, and God chooses you, too. God loves Mary, and God loves you, too. At the risk of saying something controversial and something that might upset any any of our friends who might have grown up in the Catholic Church, I'm going to say it. Mary was a sinner. The only human to ever be without sin is Jesus Christ. So Mary was not chosen because she was without sin. Mary was just an ordinary human sinner. Just a run-of-the-mill person like you and me. That's part of what makes the fact that God chose her extraordinary. And that can be hard. That can be hard for us. It can be hard for some folks because we want Jesus to have grown in, in the womb of a woman who was so perfect that she was without sin, but that's not anywhere in Scripture, and it's not consistent with what we know about humanity. If God can use an ordinary sinner like Mary in such a big, profound way, what could God do with you, you ordinary sinner? Your sin doesn't stump God. Your sin doesn't stump God. God has a solution to your sin. God has a solution to your repeated attempts to separate yourself from divine love and divine goodness. And that solution is the incarnation. That solution is is God saying, I'm going to become human. And I'm going to take all of your sin right to the cross with me so that it can just stop getting in your way so they can stop separating us. Your sin doesn't stump God. Mary's sin didn't stump God. You can be useful to God. You can be chosen by God with no requirement that you be perfect, with no requirement that you earn it. If Mary did anything to deserve being favored, I think really it was just that she believed God would fulfill God's promises. If we jump ahead in the Gospel of Luke just a little bit, After Jesus is conceived, Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is six months pregnant with the baby who will become John the Baptist. And Elizabeth says to her, blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken by the Lord. 
In other words, blessed are you, Mary, for trusting God. And in response, Mary breaks into song, the canticle of Mary, the Magnificat that we just read together just a moment ago. Stephanie led us in that. And Elizabeth calls Mary blessed for believing God would fulfill God's promises. And Mary says, promises? Let me tell you about some promises that God has and will fulfill through this child God has given me. God has and will scatter the proud. God has and will bring down the powerful from their thrones. God has and will lift up the lowly. God has and will fill the hungry with good things. God has and will send the rich away empty. Jesus isn't even born yet. And Mary is able to speak of God's work in the past tense as if all of God's work is done. That's how confident, how assured she is of the goodness of God. Later, when Jesus is all grown up and he's out ministering in the world, a woman calls out to him from a crowd and she says, blessed is the womb that bore you and the mother who fed you. And Jesus says, you know, she's not blessed because she birthed me. He says, she's blessed because of her devotion and faithfulness to God. Mary was just an ordinary, faith-filled woman who was willing to be used by God. How about you? How will your life give birth to God's work in the world today? Do you think the world is too big? Is that too big of an assignment? Then bring it down. How will God use you to give birth to something amazing in your family, your neighborhood, yourself? How will you be proof that God is at work in the world today? In a flash, Mary goes from just being ordinary Mary to being Mary, the mother of God. She goes from Mary who was devoted and faithful and blessedly ordinary to Mary who was favored and chosen and used by God. She went from needing God to seeing God to embodying God. How about you? When have you moved from needing God to seeing God to carrying out God's work in the world? In Henry Tanner's painting, we we get a glimpse at the moment God became shockingly personal to ordinary Mary. When and how did God become personal to you? When it happened to Mary, she grew a baby bump and nearly lost her engagement. How did you change? How does it show in your life? Like ordinary Mary, we're each invited to to move, to be moved by God from who we think we are to being the person God has called us to be. So yeah, you have a big responsibility because you're the only one who can be the you that God has created you to be called you to be. Like ordinary Mary, we are called to participate in the ongoing incarnation. Our lives should give birth to hope and love and joy and peace. As we've been saying all Advent, Mary was just an ordinary faith-filled woman who was willing to be available, to be useful to God. How about you? Amen.